The people that tend to do the best out of my patients are those that take control of their health themselves. And then they, yes, they, they let me kind of fix the things that only a doctor can fix. But even just things that I can fix, that's usually not enough unless the person has also taken control of their own health. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey guys, it's me, Ella. Listen, before we jump in with Dr. Wiggy Saunders, who I'm so excited to share with you again, I have some super exciting news. I'm so, 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 so excited. We're going to do something really, really fun. As I'm recording this in the very end of January 2017, I am planning my first meetups in person with whomever wants to come. So check this out. I'm going to be in London on February 28th. Again, this is 2017. I'm going to be in New York on March 10th, and I'm going to be in LA on March 24th. I want to hook up with you. I want you to come meet me. If you are going to be in London, New York, or LA, you've got to connect. Let me know if you're interested and you can jump in on this meetup. We're going to have a very informal, casual meetup in each of those cities and it's going to be tons of fun regardless. So here's how to let me know if any of those are of interest or how to learn more. First of all, if you jump on my mailing list, that's the easiest way. You go to onairwithella.com. There are about 25 ways to sign up for my mailing list there or go to this post. So episode 95, just search episode 095 and it'll be on the landing page at onairwithella.com for now. If you look at the post for this show, just scroll down and it tells you where I'm going to be and when, and you can click on a button that lets us know that you're interested. It's not a commitment, don't worry, and it's free, so it wouldn't even matter anyway, but you can just click there and share your interest and let me know which city so I have some idea of how many people to plan for, and then we'll make formal plans, okay? All the details will be provided on the podcast, but you really, really, really want to make sure you're connected with me on social media. Even if you're not a big social media-er, connect anyway just for these purposes if meeting me in London, New York, or LA sounds like fun to you because that's the easiest way to share the details. I'll create an event in Facebook and then I'll share some details on Instagram and Facebook. So search for On Air with Ella in both of those places. Okay, easy, super informal, tons of fun. Fun, and I'm so, so, so excited. Come and join me. All right, let me share a little bit about Dr. Wiggy Saunders with you. He's been on the show before. He was in episode 65 and episode 74, and Wiggy is the official medical doctor of the On Air with Ella show, and I just have so much respect for him and so much regard for him, and he just has a really cool name. He's also a super intelligent medical doctor, and I'm pleased to be able to work with him personally, but I I always call on him when I have questions about things that I'm hearing a lot about, but I don't know a lot about. And I called him and said, can we talk about PCOS and Lyme disease? Both of those topics. Both I'm hearing a lot about, but I don't know very much about. And I'm kind of curious as to why I keep hearing so much about them and why we should care, right? And so we started talking about PCOS and you're about to hear that episode. And then we, we got to talking so in depth that we decided to save Lyme disease for a separate 
separate show, so I will drop that show really, really soon. So we reference PCOS and Lyme disease in the intro to this show, but this show is all about PCOS. And then our next show, which will come up in the next two weeks, will be about Lyme disease. Okay, that's what's coming up. Stick around. Here's Dr. Wiggy. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and I am bringing back today one of my favorite guests and our official MD for the show, Dr. Wiggy. Hey Dr. Wiggy, how are you? Hello, I'm doing well. Glad to be back. Yeah, I'm so glad you're back. I can't believe, like when we started chatting about how long it's actually been, it freaked me out. Like there's some sort of weird time vortex going on. I think there might be. And I think that's what happens when you have another kid. I think you just lose all track of time. So you guys, Dr. Wiggy has had number two, boy number yes. two. But now, but I say that because you had him five minutes ago, but the truth is you just told me that he's almost a year old. Almost a year old, and it's gone by, they say, blink of an eye, and I think that is true. That's a, that's a scientific fact, actually. When you have kids, a year is only a blink of an eye. I don't understand this. Somebody, somebody <laughs> said it before me, but the days are long, but the years are so short. Yes, that was a wise person that said that. Yeah, and I'm telling you this. Probably a mom. This stupid Facebook memories thing that keeps popping up in my feed. And it's like, this was five years ago. And it's like something that you thought happened last Thursday. Yeah. It's freaking me out. And it's kind of weird. I'm not sure if there's some sort of psychological thing that Facebook's doing with that, trying to freak us out to, no doubt. to think we need to be on Facebook more so we're not missing more of our memories. I don't know. I don't know. But, but the whole thing is mind blowing to me. It and is clearly we need to do a show on like the rapid time vortex. <laughs> yeah, we'll let the research that one a little bit. <laughs> I wanted you to come on today, Dr. Wiggy, because there are two topics that I keep hearing so much about and that listeners are asking me to cover. And mm-hmm. I don't know anything about them. So that's a little like that's a little unusual for me, honestly, because typically like I research things that I'm super interested in and then I go find people to talk about them. But one of the things that I love about you and that you bring to the show is I can go to you and be like, I don't know what this is. Tell me everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will do my best. All right. I promise you that I know everything. Well, if in a relative measure, you're pretty, pretty solid. (laughs) I'm starting at zero here. The two topics I keep getting asked about a lot are. Lyme disease and PCOS. And so I yes. want to talk about both today. Yes. And both are actually, yes, huge topics. So trying to do both in one in one show is a bit a bit ambitious, but we'll, right. we'll do our best. Okay, we'll see what happens. And if, if we go long, we'll just split it into two and we'll have two chapters. But both cool. of these guys are meant to be like PCOS 101, Lyme disease yes. 101, yes. and just help us understand not sure. only what this is, but why we're hearing so much more about it now. And really, honestly, Dr. Wiggy, like, so what? Why do we need to care yeah. about this? Why do we need to sure. know about this? Sure, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so let's start with PCOS. And why don't you first tell us what that acronym even means? Yeah, that's that's probably the first thing to define here. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the reason why I got its name is because of that term, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is basically because there were um, doctors that were doing imaging studies on women's ovaries, and they saw that there was a percentage of them that had a lot of uh, cysts on the ovaries, and that came along with certain symptoms and certain physical signs. And so they basically termed it this, this term PCOS to kind of encompass all the things that go along with not only having cysts on the ovaries, but also having some of these other symptoms. Okay, so is it sort of um, a, a wide generally general use term? No, I mean it. It is used for for basically a compilation of of symptoms, 
And like I said, again, the only way to, to really diagnose it is to get, again, like an ultrasound of the ovaries, and you see that there are a bunch of cysts on there. But no, it is it does it does cover basically this this one this one syndrome that's um, again has these cysts, but also again has this combination of symptoms. And and uh, and then when you see those together, that's when you can call it PCOS. And so, what causes it? Do we know? Yeah. Well, we might want to we might want to talk a little bit about the symptoms of PCOS before we actually get into the cause, so people can kind of get a get a gauge if this is something that they may actually be dealing with. Yeah, you're in uh, charge. Tell me everything. <laughs> sure. So I said PCOS, again, the first thing that you see, you're going to see generally some cysts on the ovaries. The cysts can come and go. So even if you do an ultrasound or a CT scan or something of the ovaries and you don't see cysts, that doesn't rule it out. But that is, again, something that you generally see. So you generally see some cysts on the ovaries. But really what it is, you know, this really is basically – a dysfunction of the endocrine system, the endocrine system being our hormones. So there really is basically, if you want to think about it, this is a hormone imbalance. And so what we see with this, we tend to see a couple of things, a couple of things that related to the hormone imbalance. We tend to see higher levels of the androgens like uh, DHEA and testosterone. So a lot of times people have uh, oily skin, they have acne. They can have uh, facial hair growth. Those are common things we see. Uh, we also tend to see lower levels of progesterone. So that's where we can see irregular cycles, really heavy periods, really heavy cramping during the periods. Uh, but we also tend to see some uh, infertility that's connected with that. And then also generally there's, there's a pretty strong connection with hypothyroidism as well. So a lot of times PCOS can be connected with low-functioning thyroid. So then you have all the symptoms with that, and of course there's a thousand symptoms that go along with that, but the most common ones for that are weight gain, inability to lose weight, being cold all the time, hair loss, being sluggish, you know, all those things that go along with the low thyroid. So there are, there are actually a lot of symptoms that go along with that. So again, a combination of low thyroid symptoms, high testosterone symptoms, and low progesterone symptoms. Oh my goodness. Okay, so this is like when you came on the air and talked to us about sort of thyroid 101. Yes. It's the type of thing, and I see why you wanted to start with symptoms first, is because basically what I'm intuiting here is that there are many, many people who are dealing with lots of these conditions, but they have no knowledge that oh, this yeah. could be the cause. Yes, for sure. And, and, and you know, yes, a big, you know, big thing that I focus on in my practice courses is hypothyroidism. But I do see that a lot of people with hypothyroid also tend to have PCOS. So again, there is kind of this this uh, synergy between the two, and it does make it harder to treat um, getting all the things because there are so many things that are that are out of balance. So ha ha describe this to me from you see so many patients, and I know you work with a lot of women and men. And this is mm -hmm. obviously we're talking about women's health with this one, yes. and then Lyme is not gender specific. Right. With regard to PCOS, when someone comes to you and mm -hmm. starts sharing some of these symptoms with you, what like yeah. where do you go from here? What do you do? Yeah, that's a good question. But yeah, when people complaining are complaining of these symptoms, you know, that we were talking about, you know, and I'd probably say the biggest ones out, out of all the out of all that list. I'd say the biggest ones are definitely a weight loss resistance or a weight, just continual weight gain regardless of diet and exercise. 
it's very hard uh, to lose weight. And then a lot of times we see, uh, again, some fertility issues as well. That's, a, that's another common thing. So those are probably the, the two biggest things. So when I have it in my mind that th- this is something that could be going on with this individual patient, then it is time, time to try and nail down the diagnosis the best that you can. Now, like I said, the, the only way you can really get a technical definition for PCOS is by doing the ultrasound of the ovaries. But I actually think that that's not even that. You don't even have to do that in order to really have a good you know, gut instinct that this is what's going on. So there are some tests that I do to kind of see if this is likely the scenario. So again, kind of like you know, what's, what's causing the symptoms, I look for those, for those imbalances. So I'll do a full hormone panel. You know, looking for the hormones, the testosterone, the DHA, the estrogen, progesterone. And what I'm looking for, again, is seeing higher levels of testosterone, higher levels of DHA, lower levels of progesterone. And this does tend to be, uh, needs to be done around day 21 of the cycle. That's another little, just a little side note. But uh, yeah, high levels of testosterone, high levels of DHA, low levels of progesterone. Then we also tend to see low levels of thyroid, so I check a full thyroid panel. And then two other tests that I, that I look at, because this is also connected. I didn't mention this yet. One thing is insulin resistance. So this is something in related to the weight gain and in the inability to lose weight, but also to the fertility, is that most people have some form of insulin resistance. So sometimes I check either a fasting insulin, insulin level, see where that is, but a lot of times just checking what's called a hemoglobin A1C, which is just a marker for blood sugar over three months. A lot of times we see that that level is up. So that's one of the one of the, the other ones, and then the last test I do is what's were two tests. They're the FSH and LH. So those are two acronyms for two pituitary hormones, and a lot of times again these these uh, pituitary hormones are also tend to be out of balance. I know I'm covering a lot of information, but try and stick with me here. So um, FSH and LH again the two pituitary hormones that speak to the ovaries and tell them that kind of what. What the or how the hormone should be in balance, and for most women, what we should see is FSH should be higher than LH. But what we see with PCOS is actually what's called a flipped LH to FSH ratio. So we actually see LH is higher than FSH. Okay. Yeah, this is really helpful because people can, you know, jot down notes and take this into their appointment and ask for these things. So yes. yeah, keep yes. going. So, yeah, so those will be the tests, again, and, and it doesn't have to be every single one has to be, you know, in the specific range in order, in order for him, for, in order for the, uh, to diagnose it. But, like I said, that really kind of helps guide our, our thinking on it. If the more we see that are out of balance, the more likely it is in my mind that that's what, what we're dealing with. Okay, so you're playing detective a little bit. You're not jumping straight into an ultrasound. You're saying, let's start with a blood test, a hormonal yes. panel. And yes. if I heard you correctly, you're looking for this sort of these ratios where you have a high T, high testosterone, high DHEA, and then low progesterone. Yes. And and then you you went into some other markers as well. And one thing that you pointed out that I think some people don't get this advice, Dr. Wiggy, is that these tests are best taken on the 28th day of your cycle. Uh, so no, actually, twenty-first day. Twenty-first day. That's really that's really really an important distinction because I've heard people talk about this and they don't get that advice. Can you talk about yeah. why that's important? Well, sure. I mean, and and unfortunately, yeah, you're right. A lot of times people do not get these levels checked on day twenty-one. They just get them checked randomly in their cycle, and then you really don't even know what your you know what your range should be. So then people come in and say, "Oh yeah, your levels are all normal," but Again, it's normal because they're in a specific time of their cycle, not when it actually should have been checked. So the reason why we'd like to check hormones around day 21 of the cycle is because that's typically where 
the estrogen and the progesterone levels are around their peak. I mean, it's not exactly where both of them peak, but that's that's close to where kind of both of them are at their at their higher points. And so we do get a good gauge for kind of what the estrogen progesterone levels are, but also it tends to highlight if there is an imbalance, we tend to see that a little bit more specifically when we check it on day 21. Okay, so let's tell everybody what day one is. Like, what does the sure. 21st day mean? Well, now this is the, and this is also related to people that are having regular cycles. Okay. So that's also for, for sometimes with PCOS, that makes it more difficult because you're not having regular cycles. So oh. you just do your best. But day one, so day one is technically the first day of bleeding okay. of a menstrual cycle. So count that as day one, then you count out 21 days from that, and that's your day 21. So it's basically three weeks out from your first day of bleeding. And what that generally puts you in a 28-day 28, 28 cycle is it puts you about a week before your next cycle starts. Okay, okay. So <laughs> so if you're me, you're getting these tests done when you're fat and grumpy. <laughs> when Exactly, at your peak, when you're... When everyone's their happiest. Okay. And we will, I will link to the app that will just tell you when your 21st day is, guys, so you don't have to, uh, well, gals, so you don't have to yes. actually think. Um, yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and, and then really, I mean, mo most women should probably be tracking their periods to some degree, uh, again, especially if they were dealing with any sort of hormonal imbalances, because it does really help. And the doctors know when to check people. And plus, again, if you're keeping track of it, you can also keep track of your symptoms. And just like you said, People tend to have more symptoms the week before their cycle because that's when the hormone imbalances are they're highlighted. Yeah, it's interesting. I started using a tracking app probably 15 to 20 years later than I should have. And it's fascinating because it's it's such a health marker that we oh, yeah. we take for granted. I've done shows on this now, so we're starting to develop an appreciation for the monthly visitor that we hate. Um, <laughs> but it's really like a very, very strong indicator in its own way of where you are in your health and your reproductive health, but also just like your hormonal health. Yes. Um, so it really pays to pay attention. So I'm glad you're touching on that. And you raised an Another issue that I think is really interesting, and I don't want to take for granted that some people know this and others might not, but that is that your hormones fluctuate. Like this dashboard that you're talking mm -hmm. about, you're talking about the 21st day because on that day, your dashboard has peak levels of the things, the markers that you're looking for. Yeah. And what you're pointing out is that these levels, if you, if you look at it like almost like a mixing board, like a sound mixing board, these levels are going up and down and up and down yeah. and up and down all month, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they they are. Yeah, I mean, it's hopefully not as bad as a uh, soundboard. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do I have don't know. some I've patients had, I've that had I would. Days. Uh, I've had days. That I would anticipate <laughs> that it probably does look like that. And actually, once you do get in kind of like perimenopause, yeah. then yes, it's basically a soundboard up and down all month. Oh. And that's really where people tend to have uh, the mood swings. That's really what we see when the hormones are kind of going all all over the place. Now, with a with a healthy hormone cycle there is basically there is a sort of a predicted flow okay. of the estrogen and progesterone and that's what we we shoot for we try to get this this natural um ebb and flow of the estrogen and progesterone and that's why again we we kind of can predict when the levels will be what, what they are but yes for some people it's all over the place and then we just kind of do our best so so if you're dialed in, then it's just small ups and downs throughout the month, right? Yeah, so it's, basically, it's not even necessarily ups and downs. Again, it's basically a flow. Okay. So generally what happens like around day seven, that's when estrogen levels start to come up. 
and they kind of they come up and then they kind of they they slowly come up and then they they peak and then they start to come back down. Progesterone follows that, so that usually comes up around day uh, around 14 or so, and then the, that starts to come up and then that peaks and then it comes back down. So that's what it should look like. Again, there's not not everyone it looks like that, but that's kind of the that's what we shoot for. And so sometimes when we are doing replacing hormones, sometimes we try and mimic that. And that's why sometimes uh, we just do progesterone for like the last two weeks of the cycle. You know, so we're trying to recreate that natural rhythm. Okay, that makes sense. Let's talk about insulin then. I want to go back to that. And one yeah. of the things that I've read in my limited, limited exposure to this is that excess insulin is one of the primary causes of PCOS. Do you a- agree with that? Well, so that that's that's kind of tricky because again, the cause I don't think you could necessarily say is related to the insulin resistance. It's kind of that chicken and egg scenario. I do believe that insulin resistance makes PCOS worse, but I also believe that PCOS makes insulin resistance worse. So yeah, I I think that would probably be a bit of an a bit of a stress to say that the insulin resistance was the actual cause of it. I do, but again, I do believe that it makes it worse. So one of the ways that we do try and control PCOS, and this is getting a little bit into the treatment, but one of the ways we do try and control uh, the PCOS is by controlling insulin resistance. And of course, that goes back to the diet and really being uh, lower carbs, lower sugar, lower starches, because people with PCOS, they have to be. So these are those individuals that, you know, when when they try to figure out what diet that works for them and what the key is, is controlling that insulin. So it really has to be a low carb diet for these individuals. Can you remind everybody, what is insulin resistance? All right, yeah. So um, insulin resistance is basically uh, something that happens when the body is not able to recognize the signal from insulin the way that it should. So insulin is what's produced from our pancreas when we have a spike in blood sugar. And the insulin is what gets the sugar out of the blood and gets it into the cells, like the muscle cells, so that it can be burned. But what happens with PCOS and also with anyone else with insulin resistance like prediabetes or diabetes is that the cells stop recognizing insulin. So they're getting their pump, the pancreas is pumping out a lot of insulin, but the cells, because they are always exposed to insulin because there is, there's this constant um, surge of insulin, they basically become immune to that signal. So then you have higher levels of insulin, but also you can't get the sugar out of the blood and get into the cells. So then you also get higher levels of blood sugar, and that's where that hemoglobin A1C comes in because that's a marker of blood sugar, so we see those levels start to come up. This is so fa- – we're so complicated. Like this is oh, so gosh. fascinating. Because Our bodies are amazing. Yeah, and I, you know, you almost – I don't know about everybody else, but my experience is that you're almost like – raised or conditioned to think of the body as like this linear thing and if this breaks fix this but everything overlaps with everything else yes so yeah that's and that's uh, and you know that's one of the i think challenges of modern medicine is that it's so compartmentalized so we have doctors that look at the ovaries and then we have doctors that look at the pancreas and insulin and then we have doctors that look at the thyroid and then we have doctors that look at obesity and unfortunately, you can't single out anything. I mean, yes, there are a few things like that you probably can say that, okay, this is just from a broken this arm. Specific, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Or something like that. You probably can say it's just from the broken arm. But everything that's any sort of complex physiological disease or syndrome like PCOS, yeah, it is very complicated. It is very complicated. And almost everything is very complicated. Medicine also tries to oversimplify things, and it's 
and it's not that easy. And what's super interesting about this, though, and, and I guess the silver lining to this is there are some common themes that run through, I mean, literally everything you and I have ever talked about, and that is hormones. So your hormonal panel, your yeah. hormonal, your blood test, your hormonal panel, that can tell you so much. So it's really important, I would think, to get that blood work done once or twice a year, even if you have nothing wrong, because it's yeah. a dashboard, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely gives you an idea of your overall health. And you know, that's another another thing that I think is a bit of a disservice is a lot of times doctors will not check hormone levels because they don't think that there's an indication to do so. But if unless you do, you wouldn't be able to see if there's a hormone imbalance. So actually, I think that there there's a lot of information that you can glean from a hormonal panel. Okay. And so what I'm getting from this and what I always learn with you is that it's not all, yes, it's complicated and there, and everything, there are ripples in the pond sort of mm -hmm. to every single syndrome that you would pursue or symptom that you would pursue. But what's amazing about this is there's so much that we can learn on our own if we know to ask these questions. Like that's yeah. what you help us with is you're like, no, 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 it's not like, it shouldn't be scary. It should be empowering because these are the questions that you can take to your medical practitioner, right? And yeah. and if because yeah. I have so many people who who talk to me and 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 you must have many 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 more who are like I just don't feel like myself or I know I can feel so much better than this yes. but nobody knows what's wrong with me. Yes, and that's that's unfortunately one of the most common things that I hear is that yeah, patients are coming in and and they they know their body. You know, they're telling me, yeah, look, something has changed. I have or I'm I'm gaining weight like crazy and nothing has changed or I feel like I'm going crazy basically and basically then what happens is that you know doctors will do some basic testing and tell me yep everything looks good you're within the normal range and so you're just crazy and so <laughs> and so they go they left without hope and they basically have no answers and like I said a lot of times when we actually dig a little bit deeper and do again a little bit more of a comprehensive um, history and a more comprehensive blood work we really start to see the full picture and that almost always if people feel like there's something wrong, there is something wrong. Okay, so how does one get here in the first place? No, again, that's why I'm saying when this is complicated is that we don't even necessarily know the exact culprit for this. Sure. I, I don't think that anyone can say that, say that confidently. Yeah, some people believe that it's just a... Uh, uh, hormone dysfunction. Uh, other people believe it's more related to just the insulin resistance. Other people believe it's more of a uh, toxicity standpoint. But I think it actually is probably multifactorial. That's probably the best way to think about it, where there are multiple factors that are involved that all kind of work together in this perfect storm to cause this endocrinopathy. Now, I do believe that for PCOS, I do believe that there is a gen genetic component to it because we almost always see that if mom has it, or if someone else in the family sister has it, there's a much higher probability of the patient to also have it. So I do believe that there's a genetic component where, again, you're predisposed to having these things happen. So you have that predisposition, but then you throw on top of it, you throw it on the fire. That's where you have you know, the processed foods that cause the increased insulin resistance. You probably have some degree of chemical sensitivity or toxicity because of all the personal care products that you're using, or you have mercury from your amalgams, and then you have um, some sort of uh, micronutrient deficiency that also kind of makes things worse, like a selenium deficiency that affects your thyroid, and then all those things probably play together, and then once you, once you kind of get the ball rolling with it, then I think it kind of takes on its, a life of its own 
And then it's actually sometimes really hard to stop that ball from rolling. It's just like so many of the things we talked about when we talked about thyroid health, isn't yes. it? Like, yeah, it's, it's really similar to that because, like I said, again, when we talk about the endocrine system, the endocrine system really in includes the thyroid, yeah. the adrenals, and the sex hormones, like with PCOS. So there's not only, I mean, I don't think PCOS is even understood by the vast majority of, you know, medical professionals, probably just, yeah. a, just hazarding a guess here. Yes. Um, and so they certainly don't have like a linear A equals B diagnosis for it. And I know that you've touched on so many of the potential reasons, but your point really is that it's multifactorial. Like it's, it's not it A yeah. equals B. Um, no. And so that's why things like insulin resistance and being overweight or dramatically losing weight, I know that also can, can, affect, uh, can affect your overall health in this mm -hmm. regard, but also stress and over-exercising. Yes. And then you said environmental toxins. So it's, mm -hmm. it, to me, it falls back into that category of, and this must be why we're hearing much more about it now, I should think, which is just that we're completely overloaded. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in yes. so many ways, our health has taken a back seat. And so these things are cropping up in this general not feeling goodness, and we don't know what it is. Like, so we're yeah. just learning how to learn about this. Well, I definitely believe that it is a, it, it is a overload syndrome. And a lot of, a lot of, again, a lot of things that we are seeing are an overload syndrome where it is basically there's so many different factors involved here that they all just kind of build on one another until there is that, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, and then that's when symptoms really start to, to develop. Um, and so, yeah, so, so it is this, it's a very complicated thing that's going on, but, but yes, you're right, there's also ways that you can go about fixing it, not only from a, you know, medication standpoint, but also from a lifestyle standpoint to kind of get things somewhat back in, back in order. Okay, you've equipped us with an idea of what to look for in our own lives and what might be going on with us. You've equipped mm -hmm. us with some questions to ask and the knowledge, frankly, that this is even a thing and it can be addressed. Yes. What do you do to address it from natural mm -hmm. means to pharmaceutical means? Like what protocols are available? Yeah, that's a good question. So so this, again, because it's multifactorial, we do we do need to address all of these all of these different factors and I'm going to focus more on kind of the medical side because that's really what I'm able to do as far as helping people um, but that should not and I don't want to do that and neglect to neglect the lifestyle side because I'd also believe that that's very important but there are certain things that as a physician that I need to try and get balanced in order to get people at least a chance to get better so the things that I focus on again and I'll kind of go through the list here but with insulin resistance you do need to be fairly aggressive uh, with that. So, of course, again, there is a lot, the, the lifestyle piece. That is where exercise is critically important because that burns through the blood sugar. You also need to make sure that you're staying lower carb because it's going to help, you know, keep the blood sugar from building up. But a lot of times people with PCOS, they do need some blood sugar support. Mm -hmm. So I've actually used metformin quite a bit with people with PCOS, and that has been shown to potentially help with weight loss but also help with fertility issues. So that's a common one that I use. If I don't use metformin, that's a, that's a pharmaceutical medication, okay. then a lot of times I'll use uh, berberine. Berberine is a natural blood sugar supplement that really also has been compared to metformin and seemed to have similar properties to it. So I really like uh, berberine for that purpose. So that's one thing is focusing on the, the blood sugar and the insulin. Then the other thing, again, going back to all these things that we see that are out of balance, I tend to see that the DHA and the testosterone, the androgens are high. So with that, there are, again, and we'll, we'll talk about the pharmaceutical and the natural approach. With the pharmaceutical approach is something called spironolactone. Spironolactone doesn't necessarily lower the androgens, but it does block the effects of the androgens. 
So that really helps with uh, the oily skin, the acne, and the hair growth. Uh, if we don't do a pharmaceutical approach, then a lot of times I'll use something called saw palmetto. That's um, actually traditionally used for men with the prostate issues, but it also can be used for women with PCOS. And then uh, the low progesterone, that's another thing we see. So with low progesterone, they almost always need progesterone, the bioidentical progesterone. So that's, um, that's something that I that I almost always will boost them up with. And then a lot of times we also see that, again, the thyroid's off. So if the thyroid's mm-hmm. off, then a lot of times I am um, fairly liberal liberal with getting their thyroid levels optimized because they tend to just feel better, and it also tends to help with a lot of the other dysfunction. Okay, so you guys know I am capturing notes right now furiously, so I will put in the show notes links to each of these things that Dr. Wiggy just mentioned so you guys don't have to, and then you can ask these questions. Again, our job is always is to just equip people with the ability, the knowledge, and the awareness to ask their own questions to deal mm-hmm. with their own conditions. So I think this is a really, really nice start. Yeah, absolutely. And then just finding a doctor that's willing to work with you on it, That's because it, 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 and I'll be honest, it's, I said it, it's good to do a lot of things you know, from a lifestyle standpoint, and there are some things you can do on your own to get things under control. But most people, once again, once this syndrome kind of develops, you tend to need some additional help uh, to, get the, to get it under control. Well, can we just can we just reiterate again, please, that if you are talking to a medical practitioner who just wants to throw everything, literally, I've heard everything from ADHD drugs at people mm-hmm. to you know, an antidepressants. Um, whenever mm-hmm. females, particularly, I have to say, have sort of vague, generalized, or undiagnosed complaints, but they know yeah. something's wrong, and so many people just get shut down. So if you're having that experience go find somebody else. Yeah, and, and that's why and that's kind of what I say is that if if you trust your body here. You know, I don't I don't know why why you know doctors think that we know a woman's body better than than they do. If they're telling me that there's something wrong, then there almost is always something wrong. And I think unfortunately one of the one of the easiest diagnoses to give somebody is depression because it also has a wide variety of symptoms and it can just be I don't feel right. And you basically say, well, that might be that you're depressed. And so you get put on antidepressants. And I think that's that that's not really helping anybody. Dr. Wiggy, I cannot thank you enough. As usual, you've given us like just enough information to whet our appetite on this subject <laughs> and to like to educate us a little bit. But also, as I've said, help us understand what questions we should be asking and get to know ourselves a little bit better and get to trust ourselves a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. I honestly think we're our own best doctors if we start paying attention. Well, and, that, and that's part of the health journey. You know, the health journey, I think, for most people is becoming more in tune with what their body's telling them. Because, like I said, again, and that, and that really helps me when I'm seeing my patients is to ask them, you know, what is what is going on now? What has changed? What's getting better? What's not getting better? And that really kind of helps guide me as far as what things do I need to focus on next. Well, and I think that you, I think that you're really illustrating some, a huge part of so many people's journey. So we are conditioned, at least in the States. I don't know if this is true, like as much in the UK or in Australia or some, some of the other places that we relate to, but in the States, you're raised to believe that if there's something wrong with you, like you take yourself to the doctor and you do whatever he or she says, Mm -hmm. like if they are in a white coat then they are in charge of your health. And this whole journey toward self-discovery and figuring out your own path and like learning to listen to your body and, and understanding your own rhythms and how you mm-hmm. feel and all of that, 
it is so critically important to be in charge of your own health and then to deploy resources like Dr. Wiggy or another medical practitioner and deploy yep. them in the areas that you need instead of like sort of turning yourself over to somebody else right. and expecting them to solve you. Do yeah, you see think, that a lot? Like, Yeah, no, and I think that's a good point because I think people do tend to look at doctors as the quarterback and I mean, to use a sports analogy. So they're the ones that are kind of running all the plays. They're making all the calls. And yes, you just do what they say. And, and a lot of times, again, that does kind of lead people just towards that medication route. Okay, you told me to take this medication. That's what I need to do. And, and as long as I do that, then I should be getting better. But a lot of times, again, we see that that doesn't work, does not work. What the people that tend to do the best out of, out of my patients are those that take control of their health themselves. And then they, yes, they, they let me kind of fix the things that only a doctor can fix. But like I said, just, you just, again, even just things that I can fix, that's usually not enough unless the person has also taken control of their own health. Mm. So important. We always get so much more out of you than the topic at hand. I love this. <laughs> uh, I'm just glad to be able to share with people. Dr. Wiggy, thank you so much for the PCOS 101. We'll do Lyme in Chapter 2. So that episode will come separately and come soon. So more from Dr. Wiggy soon. Yeah, I didn't want to cut that one short because that is not going to be a short discussion. That has a, a lot of different uh, things to talk about as well. Okay, I have a lot to learn. I can't wait. Thanks, Dr. Wiggy. We'll see you in Chapter 2. You're welcome. Talk to you soon. All right, bye now. All right, bye-bye. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com, where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.